Lord richly bless you wherever, wherever this session may find you to be. The reality of it is, and we say this often, but the reality of it is it finds us in Christ. Uh, wherever, wherever that we are online, and that could be in another country somewhere, wherever the internet goes. And that's one of the joys that we have because in sharing from one place here, we are reaching out and sharing in the Lord's body, in some cases around the world, across this nation. So it's good to have you with us. Now, in these sessions, and also in some of the Sunday morning sessions, we've been dealing with primarily, primarily the emphasis, we've been dealing with our salvation, that is to say our union with Christ, another term, the reality of our being in Christ, another term, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The point has been that our salvation is now. The completion of it. The fullness of it. And when we talk about the fullness of our salvation, we're not really talking about that out from which we came. We're talking about the one in whom we now dwell and shall dwell there eternally. Because this one in whom we dwell, this one who by the divine new birth dwells in us, is himself the person, the spirit, the son the Lord Jesus Christ, eternal life. He is eternal life. And we've been talking about really bringing the emphasis upon to that, the victory, the ultimate victory of life over death. Spoke some about that even in the April CD, and we'll be following through in that on the CD for the month of May. It's impossible to say enough, impossible to say enough concerning that tremendous, supreme, and ultimate victory that Christ wrought by way of the cross. Through his death, burial, and resurrection. We have come to that reality in Christ. One of the things that led on to these little series was the reality of Mount Zion. And Paul takes the reality of Mount Zion used 154 times, I think, in the Old Testament. He brings that right over into Christ in Hebrews 12. Ye are come to Mount Zion. And you know, the church has been singing for years, even while I was a little child, 
we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion, and talking about how one day we'll get to Zion. And, and, and I appreciate impartial the meaning of all of that, but that still goes on probably in, in some uh, gatherings. And yet, Paul said in Hebrews 12, and, and we, we lean very strongly that Hebrew, the letter that Hebrews are written by Paul, so, so do most Bible scholars. Uh, ye are come to Mount Zion, the letter that Paul wrote, oh, what, 2,000 years ago, and we're still singing, we're marching to Zion. Of course, on a lot of Christians have been taught that we're still waiting to die and one day go to heaven. All of these things are factors that are taught as salvation. What we're looking at in these sessions is the reality of our salvation now. Several hundred times in the New Testament, we find the answer to the term Zion. We find the fulfillment to the term Zion. And what we find is this phrase, in Christ. In Christ. And it's not always written in Christ. Sometimes it's in Him, meaning Christ. In whom, meaning Christ. In the Beloved, meaning Christ. Put all of that together in Christ. The word in there is the same and has the same meaning. And it's talking about a real living relationship, a relationship of rest. It has to do with a state of being, a state of being. Hallelujah. We have come from a state of being dead to the state of being which is Christ himself. No, I'm not Christ, neither are you. But we live in Christ. He lives in us, and we are his body, his house, his city. We have been brought into the fellowship of the Son. We are that body of which he is the head and the fullness. So this is what we're talking about. Not a religion, but a, not a religion, not, yes, I, I signed the book, I'm now a Christian, I belong to such and such church, and I don't see anything, there's nothing majorly wrong with that, but hon, that's not salvation. If that, if that is done, you know, because we have come to Christ, that's, that's a wonderful thing. We gather together here in this fellowship building, we gather together here uh, throughout the Lord's body. And, and that's a wonderful thing. But sweetheart, our salvation is the indwelling Christ. Is Christ in you. Christ in you. It is Paul saying, I am crucified with Christ. That was Paul's answer to the law. It was Paul's answer to Saul. It was Paul's answer to trying to find his righteousness in or under the law. The answer was, I am crucified with Christ. My, my. 
I am crucified with Christ. That's the cross, hon. That's the cross which embraces his death, burial, and his resurrection. Paul embraces that in Galatians 2.20 there when he says that. And here, here, you see, here is the very substance, the very meaning, the very meaning to Paul of his salvation. This is it. In every epistle, I can show you him saying basically the same thing in every epistle over and over again. Except there he brings, he mentions, you know, every believer. He uses a lot of the terms we and us, the body of Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Here's where Paul found his salvation. It pleased God. God who separated me from my mother's womb, more than likely meaning Israel in the flesh, Judaism, Israel in the flesh, and called me by His grace to reveal my salvation, to show to me my salvation. Yes, but in a deeper way than that, in an inward way, not to show you there is a better salvation than Paul. Not, God didn't say, Paul, I want to show you something that, that's better than the law. All of that, all of that being so, I want to show you your salvation. It pleased God who called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me. Now, hon, something just gripped my heart 15, 20 minutes ago because I've got four or five things here I wanted to share, and it's come down to this. What we have is not a religion. Religions come and go. Religion can be added to, taken away from, changed in midstream, on and on and on. Most of the time religion faces upon men, or in many cases, a man. And I'm talking about in the natural. Well, our salvation is certainly a person, it's the living person, it's the spirit person, it is the person of Christ who is the image of the person of God. Our salvation is Christ, but in an inward way. It's like Paul saying, God wanted to show me the reality, the person of my salvation. He revealed His Son in me that I might preach Him. Has it come there yet with you in your heart? That your searching and your thinking concerning salvation is beginning more and more and more to function 
upon Christ himself. Rather than something, rather than something other than Christ, even gifts of Christ, or a place that is like Christ, or all, all of these things I could say that is taught in, in religion, almost, and they're almost taught as substitutes for that person himself, while he is kind of neatly tucked away someplace in the sweet by and by, and maybe again someday, or even definitely again someday, we will see him. But, hon, he's in you now. Now, that's the Christ that we're talking about here. That's the salvation we're talking about here. And that's the union that we're talking about here, the union that he speaks of himself, saying, in that day, and darling, in that day, and when he was saying this, that day wasn't over 50 days away. It came with the day of Pentecost. This is in John 14, the promise there, I will come, I will come anew, I will come in newness. I will not come a baby born in Bethlehem. I will come that you may be born from above. I will come in newness of life. That's what that means. I will come in newness and receive you unto myself. Not unto my religion, not unto the law, not, un, not as Moses received Israel. No, no, more than that. More than that, much more than that. Paul uses the term a great deal in the book of Romans. Much more, much more, much more. Because he's trying to bring everything from the law, from, from, from Judaism, uh, from the religion of sight and sound and all of that, he's trying to bring all of that right into the person of Christ who is in every case and for everything, he is the much more of it, much more of wisdom, much more of knowledge, much more of our faith, the much more of our salvation over and over and over again because that's Christ. Not Christ off somewhere as something we believe in, but Christ in you as someone we know. And that word know there and that word faith really should be and are synonymous. They, they really mean the same thing, the knowing of faith. The knowing of faith, the faith of the Son of God. Well, knowing Him. Paul, in, in all of his epistles, in all, every one of them, look at them if you, if you will, in every one of them, he brings it to this. I desire for you, I wish that you knew my heart for you, I am praying for you without ceasing. Why? That God would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened and in others that you would know him. 
that you would grow up into him. It's all the same thing. And so it's about this one that I want to speak now in these, in these little sharings. We're talking about the victory of life over death. Christ, of course, being that life. And uh, I want to read in Revelation 1 just a few verses for that. The supreme victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, honey, for three and a half years he ministered. I mean, different miracles every day. Some of them with, you know, inanimate things like turning the water into wine. Others, like raising the dead, and all of those things that he did. But, how can I say this? Great things they were. But death continued. And I'm not just, I'm not, I'm not so much talking, I'm not talking about just physical death. I'm not talking about this body is getting old and dying. No, I'm talking about death, the power of death. And if we get no further this morning, we're, in, in this session, we're, we're going to read about that. But I'm talking about the power of death. Even the threat of death. And it could take in the physical as well. But when that reality, when the truth of that is settled inwardly, then physical death is something that comes and goes. It doesn't really hinder our life at all. Because we will come to know that Christ is our life. And I mentioned that day that he says in John 14, and he, and he says that in verse 20, that day was the day of his indwelling, the day that he did on Pentecost what he said in John 14, 3 and 4 and 5 and on, that he would do, and that he would do shortly, and in newness of life. And in verse 20 of John 14, he says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father. You will know. You will not see me anymore in the flesh. Not that I am in the flesh. Not that I am really separated from my Father. Not that I am wearing and walking in the body that was prepared for me for which I would, through which I would lay down my life. Not, no, you will know, you will know that I am raised up far above all principality, all power, all dominion, every name that has ever been or shall ever be given anywhere for any reason, I am resurrected and raised far above all of that. You will know, that's what all it means, you will know I am in my Father. But hun. In our salvation, Christ never declares himself to be one place and us somewhere else. He never does that. Because he said in John 14, that, that was his whole, he's walked with these 
these guys for three and a half years. And he cannot in the flesh bring them into the relationship of which he is speaking to them in John 14. And the relationship that he fulfills on the day of Pentecost and brings them into a relationship that continues and continues, a relationship of which, relationship that Paul found and of which Paul spoke. Other than that, nothing at all. That's the relationship. That's the living union that Paul declares. Why? Because God revealed Christ in him, revealed the Son of God in him, not, not revealed that Christ was the Son of God and left him on the outer realm. No, he revealed his Son in me, Paul says. That's the reason where he says, I, I, and, and in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. But he goes on, and he gathers in the whole, he gathers his whole, his whole gospel into that little phrase, I am crucified with Christ. Paul preaches the cross. Nevertheless, I live. Nevertheless, I live. Paul preaches life from death unto life. But then he says, yet not I. It's not Paul the converted Jew. It's not Paul the converted Adam. No. That's crucified. That went to the cross in Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's that much more life. It's that much more life. It is not I, but Christ who liveth in me. And the life that I now live in this earthen vessel, in the flesh, in this body, I live in the faith of the Son of God. I live knowing that it is not I, but Christ who liveth in me. And again, I just want to slip this in. I hate to even have to do it. I'll slip it in anyway. That doesn't mean Christ in me as me. That means the only one who lives in my soul is Christ. That means I have no life but Christ. That's what that means. Blessed be His holy name. So now, He did all of these works that He did, all of these things, none of which really touched the Jews. I mean, he would do magnificent works of miracles and, 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 and of provisions and all kind of things. And what did they want to do? What did they do? Oh, some of the people followed him because they wanted more loaves and more fishes. And the Lord told them that. He said, he said you follow me for the loaves and the fishes. Because when he spoke to them concerning him being life and life alone being him, multitudes turned around and left. The Jews simply plotted time and time again to kill him. That's what the Jews did.
And yet he had with him his disciples for all that time. And they saw all that he did. But they never saw. They never saw in all of that time this supreme victory of life over death. They did see that. They come to that. But not in the three and a half years of his life on earth. They came to that by way of the cross. They came to that by way of his coming again and dwelling in them. What is the power of his victory of life over death? It is used in the scriptures many times and in Paul's writings. And it is used in one place where Paul just says, I want to know him, that I may know him. I mean, it come down to that for Paul. He's writing that in Philippians. Philippians is a wonderful letter. Philippians is a wonderful letter. I mean, it's a wonderful letter concerning our union with Christ and, and, and what Christ did to enable that union to take place and to the effect of it upon Paul himself. And now he comes to this in the third chapter that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Now there's other after that, but it, it, you have to take it in this, you have to take it in order. That I may know him. That I may know him who dwelleth in me. That I may know him who liveth in me. Oh, Lord Jesus, that's the power of his resurrection, hon. That's the power of his resurrection. And if we don't get to it in this session, we'll get to it in some session. Because that happens to be what Paul is dealing with and calling the excellency of the greatness of his power in us who believe. That's it. The power of his resurrection. And that's when Christ exercised through, through the power of His resurrection. That's synonymous with His supreme victory over death. It is one who died, and with that all died with Him. And yet, out of that death and out from among that death came forth one. One who had said, I am the resurrection and the life unto Martha and others. And we may, you know, in the reading, that's Hebrew, or excuse me, that's John 11. I am. He said that. Now he shows himself to be exactly who he said he was. The resurrection and the life. It was he who came in fulfillment. And for the first time fulfilled the day of Pentecost. I mean it had been going on for what? Thousands, hundreds of years. And never had reached its fullness. 
but it did in the book of Acts as it is written. It did there. It reached its full. It reached its fullness in 100 and 120 to start with, gathered into itself more than that. It reached its fullness in Christ Himself coming to indwell what and who by that indwelling became His body. Not just His disciples, not just His followers, His body. And that's what He had promised them. You'll know I'm in my Father. Oh, I will come from my Father. I will come again from my Father, and I will live in you. And while I have been with you, then I shall dwell in you. And I will not leave you comfortless, nor shall I be far away. I will dwell in you. All of this, John 14, 15, 16, 17, it's all there, darling. It's the reality that we're talking about here in this place. It's the reality that we talk about wherever we are. And there's others that are joined together in this same truth that speak of this reality in the person of Christ. We speak of nothing other than this reality in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, blessed be His name. In that He is absolutely and supremely victorious over death, he brought death to death. You realize that? You realize that he became dead for every man, for, for the whole Adamic race, for humanity. They didn't become dead so I wouldn't have to become dead. He brought me to death. That whole, that whole creation, that whole thing in sin, separated from God, had to die. Had to die. But nobody in that creation could die for it or make it die. So God, you know, gave them animal sacrifices until His Son would come. And in the fullness of the time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to die the death of the cross to die the death of the cross and in that making possible redemption making possible full salvation making possible that those of the dead who would hear his voice and receive him would live what would they do they'd come forth in the power of his resurrection the power of the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit of resurrection, the Spirit of righteousness, the Spirit of holiness, whereby Christ was raised up out from among the dead, even by the glory of God. Oh, hon, if our eyes could only be opened that we knew the moment we were born again, this becomes a reality in our soul. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it doesn't become the understanding of our soul. In many cases, much later, in some cases, never. But the very Spirit who dwells in us, that Spirit of Christ is also called the Spirit of Truth and the desire, His desire, the ongoing, indwelling desire 
is that you might see face to face your salvation. That you might see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul speaks about that. God hath shined in our hearts. And he's talking about those that have seen the Lord. If you'll read it, it's in, it's in uh, 2 Corinthians. You need to read 2 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 4. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul will just gather it up, man. I mean, just he gathers it up there like Jesus has his disciples to gather up the bread and fishes in the 12 baskets so that nothing be lost. Paul just gathers it up there and he says, For God hath shined. He's reaching back over into the third chapter and talking about that all bright, shining, eternal glory of God uh, that Moses couldn't see. He's talking about that glory that we behold and are changed. God has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the face of Jesus Christ, and hun, that's where we live and that's where we grow. And our salvation inwardly, in our soul, in our minds, our renewed minds, our heart becomes the very person of Christ himself. We see him and we know that because he is in us, we are, as he said, we would be where he is, in union with him. So there, in John 14, 20, where he says that, he, he gathers it up. You'll know I'm in my Father, and you are in me. And thirdly, the same sentence, I in you. Honey, that's not a scattered out kind of salvation. That's not a one day kind of salvation. That's not Jesus in one place and you and I in another place waiting to get a gospel train ticket there. That's not what that's about. It's real now. It's real now. So real that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, but if the, if the earthen vessel died today, the treasure just abounds. Our union with Christ just abounds. For the life we have is supremely, far and above, victorious. Over death. Over death. Now, I've said a lot of what I was going to say, almost just in an exhortation here. Let's look at the Scripture. Let's look at the Scripture. Revelation 1. Here is, for John, a real revealing of the Son of God. John believed Christ to be the Son of God, and John understood that Christ by His Spirit was dwelling in him. You can see this in his epistles, in his epistles. 
And then in the exalted way that John wrote of him, even in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is not, it is, it is a historical gospel, that, that's true. But if you look at it with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is, it is not so, it, let me see, how can I say it? I don't know. It, it doesn't so much just point to the history, to, to a, you know, a 30-year history or so uh, of the Lord Jesus. It, the, the Gospel of John starts out in the beginning, and it brings Christ right out from the beginning into the flesh and then into the earth and then back into those who will receive him. I mean, seems like John John's focus is more on the eternal life aspect than anything else, though many other things are mentioned. But here in Revelation, he sees the Lord as he never has seen him before. Oh, yes, he has. You, you can read it, and you can understand by the reading of right on through chapter 5 how that he had never seen anything like this before. And though he believed that we were the body of Christ and that he was part of that body and that the Lord's body were the believers in whom the Lord dwelled, because he teaches that, he had never seen, he had never seen it in the reality of Christ that he sees it here and talks about here about which we're not going to be able to really talk about, but we've been talking about it already. Let's just look at him. Verse 12. Verse 12. Now then. And I turned to see the voice. I turned to see the voice. I'm not going to get a lot further than what I'm going to read here, so I'm going to kind of take my time and read it. Uh, you remember, you remember because if we went on further, I'd read it anywhere, anyway, over here in Matthew. You remember when he asked the disciples, who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do you say that I am? I mean, it came right down finally to them. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, Peter answered him, well, look what John heard. Look what John heard here. And, and, and you can just, you know, you can look at it here. It's uh, in, in several places, but here in verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, and the best translation of this, which is, which was, and which is to come. And all of the translators say, which is to come, doesn't mean that he will come in some future time. It, and it doesn't, and it doesn't. It is not talking about that in the Hebraic sense of this verse. And I'm, I'm simply quoting from you, all of these brethren, whether it's Barnes, whether it's Jameson, Fawcett, Brown, whether it, 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 I could just go on and on. They all, they say, what this really says is, uh, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the ending, saith 
the eternal one. Say it, and, and one of the one of the guys say in his writing says it could be said this way and would be perfectly, perfectly adapted to the truth. Who is, who is, who is, who is, who is, and just keep writing it that way. Who 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 is never not is <laughs> eternal. Eternal. That's tremendous. That, that's tremendous, and I've got a reason for reading that to you. And then, he, and then he continues, and once again, then in verse 11, he says again, and John said, I heard this voice behind me, and uh, he didn't hear a trumpet. He heard a voice that reminded him of a trumpet. Maybe it was clear as a trumpet. Uh, maybe John understood this is the trumpet that everyone has been waiting for. It's the voice of the Lord declaring himself to be who he is. It's Christ being revealed. Maybe that's what John is talking about. But he certainly didn't say, I heard a big trumpet. No. No. I heard a great voice saying, I am Alpha Omega, the first, the last, declaring himself again. The eternal one. You know why I want to emphasize that? Because there's something on my mind that I wrote down, I don't know, before I sat down here. What we're reading here, and I simply wrote it, this is Christ, and this Christ Believer friend is now in you. Come on. This letter that John wrote to the churches, it was written to the churches. And it's still written to the church. Is the revealing, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Certainly it gathers all kind of things into itself, but the focus point is who the Lord is and where the Lord is and why the Lord is. And it sets him forth in absolute victory, in absolute fullness, and in absolute glory. And you don't get out of five chapters doing that. And yet, chapter 21 and 22 picks it all up again. Picks it all up again and brings it right back. The end of this letter is the same as the beginning of this letter. And the beginning of this letter is the same as the end of it. And it's Christ. And it shows our dwelling in Him. And it shows Him sitting upon the throne. The magnified Lamb of God. Or the magnified Son of God's love. The Beloved of the Father. Which is the same thing. The Lamb of God. 
and out for Him, out from Him. Life doesn't trinkle, life flows. And where are we? In Him. Where is He? In you. What comes up? What comes up out of that river of life? Well, the tree of life. Meaning it is the very person of Christ Himself living in you. And that Spirit of Christ in you, oh my, floods our soul, floods our heart. Out from your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That in ministry of Spirit and ministry of Christ. Not the doing of things. The ministering of Christ. Well, This is Christ, right here, as He is, as John saw Him, in the glory of His Father. He is, you know, in reading the Hebrew letter, He is the, the shining forth of the brightness of God. He is the glory of the Father. And darling, 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 He lives in you. That This Jesus is in you. We are filled with the supreme victory. Why? B because the victor lives in us. It's Him. It, the power of His resurrection, the power of His life, because He is the resurrection and the life, so the power of His life is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 1, and it goes on to show it in exhibition in Ephesians 2. In one of these sessions, I want to go there. How that He raised up out from among the dead, exalted over and above, over and over, everything, every dominion, every, everything, seen, unseen, seen, unseen, everything, every name, all of that. And then what, what does that all come to? Gave him to be head over all to his body, the church. It brings him right to his body, the church, and his body, the church, right to him. It shows a tremendous union. And it, while it has shown in chapter 1, Paul, Christ in that reality, in that reality of, 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 of heaven, in that reality of, uh, of, uh, of, of that realm of life, of that reality of his union with the Father, all of that right there in the last few verses of Ephesians 1. What does he, what does he show in Ephesians 2? Verse 1 through 7. You don't go any further than that. He shows that we're right there in that same realm, seated in him. I mean, hon, he has gathered us together, quickened us, raised us, and seated us rooted us, established us in His supreme victory, life 
over death. I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Being turned, he saw representatively the body of Christ. The whole body of Christ. That's true. We won't sit here and argue about that or, or take that apart for the next 30 minutes or the next whatever. Just that, that is it. We can talk about it anytime you would like to do so. The seven golden candlesticks, simply because they're called golden and because they're candlesticks, uh, not wax, golden, and not six, seven, it means the whole church. It means the church as it actually is in Christ. And that church was in a great dilemma at this time. They, they were scattered. They were killed. They were persecuted. They were in a great dilemma. And God's answer to that dilemma, whether it is in the church or whether it is in the believer like me and like you, is to bring in the exalted view of Christ, is to begin to show us who He is begin to show us whose we now are. Just show us in His magnificent majesty the one who lives in us. Well, not with our natural eyes do we see Him, but with the eyes of our soul, the eyes that can see Him once that veil, as it were, of human knowledge is simply set aside, ripped aside, done away. And the Spirit says, Behold. Behold your salvation. Behold the one whose body you are. Behold him. Under whose feet is all Things, all things under his feet. Who overcame death, hell, broke it down, destroyed it. It's this one, hon. It's this one. In the midst one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the foot, down to the foot, fully clothed upon. That has great meaning. Fully clothed upon. Gird about the paps with the golden girdle. I have always seen that in view of the golden altar and where it sets in the tabernacle which Moses built. But we won't go there. Because that whole thing is representative of Christ. That whole thing is, hon. It's representative of Christ coming in. It represents him in his sacrificial giving, in his death, in his blood. But with the high priest coming out, it represents Christ. And he comes by every one of those articles of furniture coming out. Every one of them. And he comes out representative of Christ in his resurrected glory. Well, we're not looking at representations in Christ. We're looking at the real one. 
John uses figuratism here because mainly of who he's writing to and the time he is writing. But it's Christ that he's seeing, not with a natural eye, because he says, I was caught up in the Spirit. I was caught up in the Spirit. All that I see here is that which the Spirit revealed. It wasn't a nightmare or a bad dream. It was by the Spirit of the Lord. His head and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow, his eyes as the flaming fire. My goodness. My goodness. The brightness of the glory of the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> his feet likened to fine brass. Oh, yes. There's the altar for you. As if they burned in a furnace, his voice as the sound of many waters. It was like the roaring of an ocean, of a whole ocean. And there's much meaning in that. But what it is, hon, is the simple greatness of Christ. Abraham could never count the sand on the earth. All that was showing was the greatness of the seed, which is Christ. He can't be counted. His greatness can't even be imagined. And we can give all of these terms, which the Bible does use. But none of them, none of them satisfy the real seeing of him. I mean, John saw him and still couldn't adequately describe him. How do you describe the glory of God that shines, that shines in the face of Jesus, that fills your heart and soul with the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and literally transforms your soul from the natural to the spiritual, from the glory of the first to the glory of the second, from that which is outward to that which is inward? There's the transformation, hon, from flesh to spirit is the transformation of our soul. My goodness. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, There are times, and maybe all times, This is the greatest thing said. Fear not. Everyone that's watching this now will watch it. Please spend some time there. Fear not. Is there any of that in you? About anything at any time? Fear not. John was in a place where he had every kind of natural reason to fear. Fear not. And, and he didn't say, fear not, because I'm going to do this, 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 and that, and I'm going to do this, 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 and that, and just, just, just don't be afraid. No. Fear not. I am he that liveth and was dead. 
How quickly he said that. How quickly he said that. Wow. It was all accomplished. All accomplished and then done away with in three days. You tear it all down. Destroy this temple, he says to the Pharisees. And he was referring to the temple that he was, as well as the old temple they had over there. They didn't understand. The writer there says, but he signified the death that he would die. He signified, he spoke of his own body. In three days, I will raise it again. I will raise it up. I will raise it up. That's really where we're going in this kind of a lesson. Uh, I will raise it up. That's in John 2, I think. And, and he says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why would that be so? He said that way back there when he was with his disciples. Well, no wonder he said that. I am he that liveth, was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I mean, that means period, exclamation point, amen. And have the keys, the authority, the power, the keys of hell and of death. My Lord, no wonder he can say, I will build my church. I will build my body, the church. I will raise it up. Sweetheart, how does the real church exist? In the power of his resurrection. That's how. It isn't something formed in the earth out of dirt and breathed into and visited every now and then. No, it's not a building somewhere and it's not a, it's not a denomination somewhere either. None of us. We've got buildings. We're, we're, we're part of a fellowship and nothing is wrong with that. But the church, the church can't be defined by the buildings that are here. And the church is just not a bunch of people, always people. But it's those who are in Christ, in whom Christ dwells. It exists because we are quickened together, one body, raised together as one body, seated together as one body, in heaven, in Christ. We exist because he is the resurrection and the life.
stop right here. And then we'll continue. The Lord bless. Thank you for watching. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for our fellowship together. We appreciate you. And we, we appreciate you taking time to be part of all of these sessions that are going out by our different ministry, diverse ministry that is here. And we appreciate that. We, we, we thank you for that. Uh, I recommend sometimes you go to our website and go to uh, 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 CMI 24-7. We started it years ago just because we wanted something there 24-7 that you could open it up in the midnight, open it up in the day, whenever you just open the, you know, just like turning on the radio, open the computer, go to the website, punch the button that you'll see right there on the screen, and you've got a Bible class that one of us is teaching, and that's rotating. If not any of us just gets on there and stays on that, we'll, this lesson will be on there, no doubt, at some point in time. Others are, and they rotate. The point is that when you go to the website 24-7, we're teaching Christ. We're sharing with you, and we love to do it. So may the Lord richly bless you, and you who help us with this, because there are those we hear from, and I'm talking about, yes, financial offering, and it is not something that we sit here and ask for, mention, or even talk about how much. No, I'm sitting here thanking you that have done that because, because you wanted to be a part of this outreach. And that's what you are supporting. Not really the buildings or even the upkeep of the buildings. But what you are helping us with is this outreach. That is, that's, that's to you right now. That it may go far beyond ourselves, throughout his body, and around the world. Thank you for being with us. Lord bless. Amen.